Good evening, I'm Ted Koppel. Surely everyone knows by now that Buckwheat is dead. But for those of you who have not seen the videotape of Buckwheat being shot, let's take a look. No, this stuff isn't getting to me. The shootings, the knifings, the beatings. Old ladies being bashed in the head for their social security checks. Teachers being thrown out of a fourth floor window because they don't give A's. That doesn't bother me a bit. Come on, Harry, take it easy. Or this job either, having to wade through the scum of this city, being swept away by bigger and bigger waves of corruption, apathy, and red tape. Now nah, that doesn't bother me. But you know what does bother me? What? You know what makes me really sick to my stomach? What? It's watching you stuff your face with those hot dogs. Nobody, I mean nobody, puts ketchup on a hot dog. S&H Green Stamp. Now you can choose just what you need. Look at this. Look at the lovely patio furniture. We only have a one-room apartment. Oh, look at this nice boat. We live miles from any water. Oh, and look at this lovely nursery furniture, huh? Oh, we've only been married for an hour. Well, all right, you'll save them. I mean, there'll come a time you'll need something and you may not have the money, especially since you married a Piper. Uh, that's, oh, Peter. Yeah, well, whatever. Just use the S&H Green Stands. We thought there wasn't a better thing that we could get you considering. Considering what? Considering Porter, Peter, Piper, him. S&H Green Stamps. The more you lick them, the more you like them. Ty Webb. Heavy Longmire, Gustav Mateblanc. Is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second? This is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Come on then, Plato, enlighten me. Welcome back to Tell Me Where to Turn. <laughs> I'm Point Break Dave. I'm Glenn 311. I'm Tommy and I hate you all. <laughs> no, this is Can You Hear Me? Podcast that used to be three guys, but it's still just Ty and Gustav. Heavy's forsaken us. We're doing the empty chair technique tonight. Is, is he really doing his own solo re- remake of The Revenant? That's what he says. All right, well, good luck with all that. You can email us at canyouhearmepod at gmail.com with your own theories of why Heavy is forsaken us. He's probably slathered in bacon fat right now. Stuck in a culvert. (laughs) (laughs) Mumbling about the lost pelt. (laughs) Almost had that muskrat. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Real Gustav. I'm at TyWeb3000. And R.I.P. Heavy, he is at Longmire Heavy. The one and only. The one and only. The other day, it got me thinking about, since we all have kids on this podcast, and when you have kids, you have to go to things where there are other parents that have kids, and you're kind of stuck with these parents. Yeah. Forced. Forced. And every once in a while, you actually meet somebody that you like. It's rare. It is rare. But it does happen. But what happens when you meet somebody that you actually like as another parent, but you can't stand their fucking kid? Boy, it happens a lot. It's probably more common. I mean, it's rare to meet that parent that you like, but I think it's probably when it happens, you're more likely to not like the kid. When I end up wanting to discipline these kids. Oh, yeah. And that can get me into trouble, too. As we've talked about on this podcast before, I... I've kind of become the grumpy old man about telling kids what they need to do and not do. Well, I think you probably have the highest chance of intervening out of the three of us. I've definitely lost my inhibition for opening my big fat mouth about stuff. I'll correct it. I'll correct a stranger kid in the grocery store on a moment's notice. I have had to bite my tongue and choose different words when I needed to kill. I felt like telling a kid. Hey, quit being a dick. Yeah, and I, you know, I heard somebody say this a long time ago, and at the time I thought, man, that sounds harsh. But I'm, I'm more and more coming around to their line of thinking, and this sounds bad, and I don't mean this about you, no offense, or, or heavy, but 
in general, most people don't want to hear about your fucking kids and whatever's going on with them. No, that's right. I mean, and we overestimate how much other people want to know about our own children. And I mean, I'm bad about it. It's not it's not like I don't do it, but I catch myself doing it sometimes and thinking like, you know, why do I expect them to give a shit? Well, I think that and this may be sexist and that might be a first for this podcast. Sound the alarm. I think women are more inclined to give a shit about other people's kids, what's going on with them. I I think there's no doubt. Because in my own life, I will be asked tonight, probably when I go home, how's Ty? Right. How are his kids? And I'll be like, I don't know. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation with someone of the female persu- persuasion where after I've gotten together with some of my buddies, it's been like, well, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And I'll be like, I, I have no idea. Yeah. We didn't talk about it. You haven't seen this person for 10 years. What You know, I don't even know how many kids they have, honestly. Right. I don't know what their names are. We didn't talk about it. We talked about that time that somebody got their dick stuck in the washing machine. That's right. And they have no interest in hearing about no. that. No, they don't want to hear our stories. They want to know about something else. You know, I do not care for Facebook because that's all it is now is... Man, I cut the cord on Facebook about a long time ago, eight years ago or so. I logged on the other day. Wonderful. It it told me I hadn't updated my profile in six months, and I felt like that was a a badge of honor that maybe I need to push that to a year. I haven't killed it, but I I see no use for it. Man, it's, yeah, it's a beating. For my real Facebook. If you want to find us on Facebook for Gustav Monteblanc or the... uh, can you hear me podcast and it's great it's super you should spend all your time it's on tremendous, it it's tremendous it's the best of podcasts my, my non-fake name it's useless yeah it's and not that i have anything against it because i mean you know if you have family and you want to share that with aunt frida or whatever so she can see that your kid took a dump for the first time in the potty and he's 12 right hey that's great but oh my god you know When it goes along with my whole soapbox of how much we've elevated kids in this world now to where they're the center of everyone's universe and you need 10,000 pictures of them every day and then you need to share those pictures and then you need to share everything that they're doing to everyone else in the world. It's just, I just can't do it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a different world than what we grew up in for sure because, again, I'm... I'm kind of glad that we have so many pictures Yeah. now, a little bit. I do think it goes a little bit overboard, but it's nice that someday we'll be able to document that. And, you know, I got I got a little misty-eyed going through an old hard drive the other day because here's a bunch of pictures when the kids were three or four. I'm like, oh, you know, that's pretty great. Right. Whereas there are times in our lives, probably past about the age of six, where the photo record probably gets yep. a little sparse. When I remember we had, and I, I, I had the same experience not too long ago to where I started going through a bunch of the old videos that I had on my phone. Right. And shared those with the kids and watched them together. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, I remember growing up, we used to do that every now and then. We had an old video camera that we'd take a bunch of videos on and then we would get together as a family. And sometimes if it was like if we'd gone on a trip with another family, we'd get together with them and we'd break out the old eight millimeter. Oh, yeah. Reel to reel and watch the videos together. And I mean, those were really, but it's like anything when it gets overdone, it loses its value, Sure, you know, to where it was really cool to do that. But the flip side of that is when I go to a kid's event like I did today to where Almost every parent in there during the event is videoing it on their phone versus just taking it in and experiencing it with their own eyes. Being in the moment. That's right. Yeah. we. I feel like we've lost a lot of that. Yeah. I don't video very much unless it's something that it needs to be like an active thing. Like, And it's usually stupid stuff. Like the other day, my youngest daughter, or my only daughter, and I, we did the... Mentos into the two liter of, you know, Dr. Pepper. Yeah. We videoed that. Right. But 
you know, if you're out there just jumping on the trampoline, I'm not going to video that now. Right. You know, I, I agree. The in the moment thing is just a, in general, you know, you see it not just with kids, you see it at sporting events. Oh, yeah. You see it at concerts. I mean, it, it just, it's, I feel like it's totally wrecked the experience of things. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Because it doesn't only influence your experience of the event in the moment, it affects your memory of the event. Right, because you are remembering holding the phone. That's right. Keeping it in frame, not being there. Just being there, soaking it in. And you know what? It's okay if you don't have every single thing documented. That's kind of what your memory is for. I think it'd be very interesting to see if there is a... I know we just lost iPhones as a sponsor. But well, our sponsorships haven't been going real well. We just got Heavy's Muskrat Love Scent. It's been our only sponsor offer he, in a while. He keeps talking about how we might get some of those barbershop ointments to sponsor a show, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I have always wanted to get the barbicide comb holder. Oh, yeah the blue tint the blue tint and like just have that at a party and just be drinking out of that some kool-aid or something you know well what's the one he was going on about that's the uh the tonic scent what is it called i know i remember he got me on it and i i looked it up because i wanted to buy some of it just to just to have that smell take me back to going to the barbershop as a kid smell but i know i mean yeah clubbing 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 Go out there and get you some Clubman tonic, kids. Tonic. Hair tonic. Get you some dippity-doo. Some brill cream. Did you go to the barbershop as a kid? Yeah. Uh, the barbershop probably till about, I don't know, 12 or 13 probably. Yep, me too. I, and I remember the the barbershop was not, it was the one that I went to was, it was just, just off the square. Yeah. Was and, it over there by the post office, kind of? Uh, no, it was over by the barbecue. Oh, okay. Okay. And well, the, Yeah, I know where you're talking uh, about. Yeah, I remember it being a big deal, like when my little brother got his first haircut. Like Again, pictures were taken. Right. Maybe video even, because my grandfather was real early adopter, like ordered the Quasar Ooh. Uh, video camera that weighed like 20 pounds well, from Japan. He was heading the curve. He was he was a tech guy and he was into that. So he I think he got a the first video camera that he bought was like seventy seven. Man, and he would be someplace and it had like the big light on it. You know, oh my. people would think it was like something really going on because he nah it's fucking it's like kid, part of the media. Fucking kid get his damn haircut. That barber shop that you're talking about was right over there by that corner store that was a uh, uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of store where you could either get you a set of tires, you could get you a go-kart. A shotgun. Get you a shotgun. Pretty much had everything we needed It was a better then. time. Better time. And it had that cool bay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was right there. It had that right there on the corner with that, that angled door yep. and everything. I can't believe that place stayed open as long as it did. Yeah, I never did. They, I, there's a lot of things in that town that hung around longer than... I never could figure out how exactly. Kids today don't know the joy of catalog shopping. No, like they we don't. used to have where you just thumb through that thing and mark all the things you wanted. Or how about the joy? Because my parents didn't have a whole lot of money when I was real little. So they were big savers of the green stamp. Oh, yeah. And that was you're going to get something you absolutely don't need, probably. Take that sp- thing down to the Piggly Wiggly. Going to splurge and get that, get them green stamps. Man. Filling out that book. Those were legit. You know, that's I, I did have the talk the other day with the kids about, with the boys at least, of, well, I'd taken the oldest, they had to go buy groceries for a Boy Scout camping trip. He was the grub master. And while he might be with were you us. the gatekeeper? Yes. Very nice Ghostbusters reference. When he might be with us when we go shopping, but he pays absolutely no attention to what anything costs. Right. Uh, as far as food, he might, he knows how much a Coke costs or how much candy costs that he might buy, but he doesn't know how much meat or anything. So he's going through the, his menu and what he needs to buy. And I'm like, well, you know, you've got this much, so you need to, you know, go ahead and you don't need to get the, you can get the sure fine for this. Okay. You know, it'll be all right. Right. 
I was like, why does this matter? Why, why do I, you know, I'm like, well, there's going to come a time when the difference between the dollar and the dollar fifty is going to matter because right. you're not going to leave my house making as much as I make. So you're going to have a hard shock when you have to make every penny count. Yep. You know, and that's one of those things. And I know that there's talk about, well, generations may not do as well as their their parents and stuff like that. It doesn't matter. You're still going to have at least some ramp up where, you know, you're not making anywhere near what your parents are. And yeah. I know a lot of parents still support adult children now. Well, and the difference, one of the differences now too, versus when our parents were kids, especially is the expectation yes. of what you would be able to afford and how you would be able to live once you finished high school or finish college or whatever, you know, as far as you went in school. Now, I do think there are some factors now that certainly didn't exist then. There's a lot more safety nets now. Well, there's more safety nets, but there's also more costs associated with modern living now than oh, even yeah. when we were kids. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You were talking before off air, you cut the cord. Right. So that had to cut off, you know, yeah, a substantial amount of monthly. Right. Now, you know, I've we cut it a little while back and I don't actually know how much we were paying for satellite, but I know it was a lot and we're nowhere near with our monthly subscriptions to Netflix and everything. But, you know, that vivid vivid. If I knew any splashing networks, I'd go ahead and name that, but I don't. But as far as you know, <laughs> sure. But that's something you know. Why are you winking? Right. Why am I nodding feverishly and pointing at my phone? But, you know, there wasn't that. There weren't cell phone bills. There wasn't internet bills in the 70s. So there's all these things that we take almost as just utilities now that a couple, like a couple starting off didn't have in 1975 or 76. Yeah, it seems like the sphere of necessity has grown exponentially. And sometimes you'll hear some, you know, right-wing folks uh, griping about, how the poor in America have it so good. Right. Well, compared to the world. You know, compared to the world, they absolutely do. But compared to everybody else, you know, there's still hungry people and everything. But the hungry people may have a a big screen TV. That's right. So, you know, they they got clean water and everything, but still. So it's all relative. I get that. But there's no doubt if you took, and, and, you know, in the 70s, our parents could make a living Without a college education. Right. And if you had a college education, you were already way ahead and it didn't cost you so much. So there's there's lots of things. It's not apples to oranges, but man, it was a shock to him. I'm like, well, no, you've got you've got to count out how much it's gonna be and figure out, you know. And I made it where he came in under budget. Yeah. You know, made sure and they ate fine. They didn't eat as well as they possibly could. I didn't let him buy, you know. 12 packs of Mountain Dew and everything like you wanted to. Did you pick up any ranch style? I didn't. Uh, they had a, so this is their, their, it was just a, it was an overnight, so it wasn't a big thing. They had Pop Rocks. <laughs> they had ham sandwiches for uh, lunch. They had canned ham, or are we talking actual? Well, it was actual sliced ham. Now, I didn't let them get, I, I let them get the good stuff for the ham, <laughs> but. <laughs> So I, but I stopped and I picked up the Oscar Mayer yellow backed yeah. of the chopped. There you go. And I'm like, this is what I got when I had a ham sandwich when I was a kid. That's right. All right. And then I walk over here to the, the deli the, cut, the, the, the nitrate free, the Eckridge farms or whatever. I'm like, this is what you eat when yeah. you want ham. Okay. You've never had this. Get you a mouthful of nitrate. This son. is what you have. And I'm, I'm like, go ahead and get that. That's fine. You're in budget for that. Go ahead. <laughs> and then they, he actually made, um, have you another Vaina? Yeah. Boy, they ate the shit out of Vaina sausages when they were kids. They wouldn't touch them now, but they, that's all they ate. Well, I ate lots of spam growing up. They've never had spam. I'm pretty sure. You need to take them I back. Need to, I need to do that. Fry them up some spam. They made chicken stir fry. Oh, it was a fancy camp Well, out. it was a fancy camp out, but he wanted to buy the pre-seasoned teriyaki frozen <laughs> chicken breast because that's what they get at home Sure, for their stuff. I My chicken, when I make stir fry, it's, you know, from the start, but 
They're like, well, can't we do that? I'm like, no. So I made him get the chicken. I made him, you bought him a live chicken? I made him clean it. Yeah, I bought him a live one. They've been through that. I'm so bad at butchering a chicken. It is not pretty. <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks in the movies. It is not. And it's not as easy. It takes practice to get those clean cuts like somebody making $3 an hour at the uh, Bo Pilgrim <laughs> That's right. line is making. And then, so they, they had a really nice dinner. They made it well. And the next morning... They just had fucking Pop-Tarts. Oh. Which, I'm like, okay, because I, I don't like, I hate cleaning up scrambled eggs on campouts. And then when you got a big group of people, that's pretty much the only way you can cook eggs, right. you know? I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, just get the Pop-Tarts. I don't care. It's an authentic campout breakfast like, Pop-Tarts. You know, so, but he 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 came in budget, and I was like, okay, well, you got a little taste. Well, I think that's one of the best arguments for doing an allowance for kids is that you, with that comes the instruction on how to budget. Right. You know, that this is, you need to save this much, you need to spend this much, you need to give this much away or whatever. And you right. start teaching them how to handle money. All right, Dave Ramsey. And you start teaching them how to, you know, like you said, they don't, when they're not having to buy anything, they yeah. don't have any understanding of what stuff costs. Now, there are times that, especially my oldest and my middle one, they're like, well, I want to pay for this. And I'm like, no, I'll save your money, you know. And that's been on me. That's when you pull out the big, fat, sweaty roll of money out of your pocket. Right. Yes. I'm like, but, you know, it's why like. Why are all these singles, Daddy? Why do they smell? <laughs> why do they smell funny? <laughs> why, does it, why does this one smell like a Philadelphia strip joint? <laughs> Shut your mouth, son. I'm paying. Was the stamp Susie's? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a balancing act to you know quote give them a good life, but also make it where they're not just going to be sheep to slaughter at some point, right? And I I certainly don't want to support them in their adulthood. You know we we grew up with people that I know got a, a check each month from their parents well into their late 20s. Really? Yes. Man, that's that's a world of which I'm not familiar. I, I wouldn't even be comfortable with that. I mean, my parents helped me get through college, but gum, when you're out of school and have a job? Well, and there's, I mean, I, I wonder what the percentage of kids that are in college now versus when we went to college that work. I don't know. Is I wonder if that's changed at all. I don't know. Because, I mean, if you weren't getting a scholarship, you right. were working. Or sometimes both. Right. I, I know I saved up. I didn't spend any money that I earned my the, the summer between uh, senior year and college. And I didn't work that first year. Yeah. And I just, but it didn't actually make my grades any better. Right. <laughs> I probably would have been better off. But, yeah, the rest of the time... Definitely full time and sometimes two jobs. There was one gap where I worked two forty hour weeks plus school. That didn't help my grades either, but it worked out okay. Well, yeah, I, I had some money saved up and I had a scholarship and I just managed to blow through all the money about ninety nine percent of it on partying. Well. And then started working to make up for that. And yeah, it it, it wasn't real good on the grades and such either but you know and i think we're probably i think most people that we know work through college i never had the college experience really you know i, mean, I definitely seems like, had that it seems like i just worked most of the time and that first year i didn't really work but i really didn't do anything either but i wasn't a partier right you know but the rest of the time i was either in class or i was working that's all there was I spent about the first two years doing nothing but partying and athletics and that and barely fo focusing just enough on the academic part to get by. Right. And it, it took me about two years to finally grow up and get serious about, you know, what I was wanting to do. Right. But the first I mean, I mean, I still partied some and everything, but the first couple of years was Pretty Animal House-esque. No, I did not did not have that life. Now, I did eventually uh, start going out with a future lesbian, and that certainly took up some time in as between it will. working. As it will. But other than that, 
no, it was pretty much just, uh, now my grades weren't great, but I don't know. It worked out okay in the end. One of the things I'm sadly most proud of from college is something I shouldn't be proud of at all, I'm sure. But my freshman year, I had a chemistry class that met at eight in the morning, which automatically meant that I wasn't going to make it to class very much. I'm not even sure why they even schedule classes at eight in the morning. I'm like, what are they just trying to set you up to fail? Well, I had to have all of my classes done by one o'clock for athletic reasons. And so I had to schedule some classes at eight in the morning. And I think that I went to that class twice the first semester (laughs) and maybe three times the second semester. And I passed that class. Damn. And I felt like that was as big as a, I felt like that was the top of the mountain for me. That right there shows how great your high school education was. Well, we did have one heck of a chemistry teacher in high school. We did. We did. Not many people can say that they took chemistry and laid water line with the same with the man. Same man. <laughs> and I fit that bill. That is the beauty of the, the 903 life. I mean, I worked a summer job laying water pipe with my chemistry professor who was way too old to be getting down in a ditch yeah. and digging water line, but was probably, no, not what probably, was definitely the hardest worker there. I don't doubt it for a second. I mean, the foreman, who was the lawman's dad, right. would have to tell him, go easy. You need to take a break. Yeah. And he wore a headband. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> and a large man. I mean. Yes. Tall. He was, he was the... uh <laughs> He was the Max von Sydow of the 903. <laughs> I was thinking more of a... Um, Don't you think he resembles him, though? A little bit. I always thought he was more of like that um, actor that played Lurch on Adam's yeah, Family. Yeah, that's a good one, too. He was a big man. He was big. Big, skinny man. He was a walking Lean. one iron. And said al- aluminum is aluminium. <laughs> yeah. Never did figure that one out. He was hell with a Bunsen burner. We got some emails here. All right. Is there any from Heavy? No, we have no smoke signals from Heavy, sadly. Do you suffer from occasional or frequent constipation? I bet he's in a loincloth watching comedy specials. Did y'all ever see the... God, who's that comedian? Yeah, he was... Big on comedy specials that one night, wasn't he? <laughs> this is from one Valley Butcher. All right. Let's get serious again. Uh-oh. Dearest 903-Vians, 903-Ites, 903-Tonians. I like 903-Tonians best. It was really nice to meet two-thirds of you at the Blowout One Million Celebration. Hopefully someday I'll get to meet Ty, and he can regale me with stories of Kendall Gill and the Flying Illini. Yeah, Illini. Whatever, I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's basketball. <laughs> a little about me. I lived in DFW going on 11 years now, uh, but I grew up on a farm in central Illinois in the 80s and 90s, and I think I had a lot of the same experiences and knew a lot of the same types of people growing up that you guys did only 800 miles away. I think one of the basic things of your show is how your experiences as kids can shape our present-day worldview. I say all this for a reason. It doesn't matter how many homes Chip and JoJo fix up or how many stories I hear about rapey Baylor football players. Still, the first thing I think of when I hear about Waco is David Koresh and the Branch Davidian Compound. At the risk of having you to record two serious podcasts in a row, I'd like to ask for your recollections of what the 903 atmosphere was like while that whole mess was going on. Or you could just talk about how Terry Gar, or how hot Terry Gar was in Young Frankenstein. Oh, or s- Mr. Mom. Or, we, or Tootsie. So much hot Terry Gar, even though she's a little skinny. I specifically remember watching that during a family movie night and excusing myself to use the bathroom, quote <clears throat> midway through the movie. Apparently, Terry Gar is my Lily Tomlin. That's an upgrade there, Boy, Dale. Terry Gar. There was nothing wrong with Terry Gar. I'll sign off for now. Thanks for providing me with at least an hour's entertainment every week. Keep fucking that chicken, Valley Butcher. 
we were in college when the Branch Davidian mess went down. Right. Or at least you and I were. Heavy may have still been in school then. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think Heavy was a senior. And I can't speak to what he went through. I remember we were riveted to the TV watching the build-up, you know, oh, stand-up. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of the things uh, I remember being over at Buddy's houses, and we would just sit there and watch it, you know, at their apartments. I had to fly to – I had a uh, get-together for some old-style Lakota dancing. <laughs> this was your Lakota group? This is in my Lakota dancing phase. This was down in Central Texas, so we had to pass through Waco. Oh, really? To go through this while the standoff was going on. Now, it well, you know, the Davidian compound wasn't in Waco. It was right. outside, so you didn't see anything just driving through Waco. But, but it was in McLennan County. Yes, and at the time, as some of you have seen pictures of me in the Lakota dancing days, it's my favorite Led Zeppelin <laughs> album. Um. <laughs> uh, I had long, wavy red hair. So 903. And tinted, big, clunky glasses. You were straight out of 78. And I looked like a short version David Koresh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I never thought about that, but yeah. So you were a doppelganger. Exactly. And I flew in from Lubbock and... To Love Phil, my dad and brother picked me up, and maybe the Polynesian was with us. I can't remember. But we stopped in Waco at the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Sure. And my brother, I think, was like, you look like fucking David Koresh. They're going to get you. <laughs> Nothing happened except we had a gravy drinking contest, as one will. <laughs> of course. And then we went on and to that powwow, and then uh, I flew back to Lubbock. Were you in full regalia in the KFC? No, I was just in Moccasin. whatever. I, I might have been wearing moccasins. <laughs> I can't say I wasn't. <laughs> I know you had your casual moccasin you know, and then your formal dance yeah, moccasin. Yeah, you don't want to break out the nice ones, you know. The beaded ones need to stay. But went back, and then I remember going over to um, my buddy Sean's apartment, and Ricky, who was always in his best Megadeth t-shirt, was sitting there. Drinking a beer probably at about 8 o'clock in the morning, watching the compound burn. Sure. As and any Ricky would. As one as Ricky will. I hope he didn't lose that number. We were riveted to it because yeah. it was, you know, very real since it was at Waco. It was must-see TV for sure. It was. And, you know, I still, I, we had a big talk about this amongst the kids and my wife about how fucked up it was that even though there was no doubt he was doing some really bad stuff. The way it was handled just caused it to turn into a clusterfuck. Not the words I used for the kids. Sure. You used like a messed up fuck. I just said cluster F. Right. Well, it, it, was, it was definitely one of those things that you didn't know all the facts about at the time. Right. And that you learned a lot more about after the fact. Mm -hmm. To where, I mean, there was that great documentary on it and... I think it's PBS. The American Experience one? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was just so otherworldly at the time. I mean, it was like it was like you were watching something from another planet. Yeah. I mean, it just it seems so it, it seems so much like you were watching a movie well, or something I mean, that wasn't real. And you know, seeing tanks. Right. Roll down a country road. Right. And it's like, what the hell's going on? And I don't know if you remember so obviously. We watched Red Dawn. That oh, yeah. was, you know, totally... Uh, it shaped us. Shaped us. R.I.P. Powers Booth. And I, do you remember the miniseries? I think Robert Urich was in it. And I know Chris Christopherson was America with a K. Vaguely. So I mean, I remember the name. And it was but, very Red Dawnish, where yeah. the Soviets take over. You know, that was just some... And that all this was years before that. But that was the, just crazy shit. Here's the government. Right. Like you said, rolling down tanks, you know, I don't know. It was one of those things where, at the time, it certainly caused a lot of anti-government uh, sentimentality amongst the people that were already anti-government to begin with. Yeah. It just made things worse. Then, obviously, when the Oklahoma City happened, at that time, and I may have said it before, 
when that I was over at a friend's house that morning when it happened after class, and we were watching TV, and she said, "Well, it, you know, you think it was terrorists?" I'm like, "Yeah, but they're American terrorists, I think, because this yeah. that came straight out of the Turner Diaries." Like, oh yeah, you know, just straight out of that. I'm like, this is probably tied to all this. This is all this anti. And at the time, you know, you had all the militias and everything that Heavy was trying to get me to join. <laughs> yeah, that he's <laughs> he's still spouting off about. Don't get him started on the militias. But it was a very, uh, it was surreal. I agree totally to watch that. Well, and it was kind of, for us, it felt a little bit like the Manson experience. Yeah. To where, like, there was this person who was, had become so iconic and it was you know, so unique and such a big personality and so so otherworldly that, and then there was this big standoff between them and the government. And it just seemed like this can't be happening. And then I had it in my mind that the whole, you know, this whole area is being taken over by the government and there's this big standoff. Like you'd only see on TV, right? you know, that this can't really be happening. And And then all the story, I mean, between the stories that leaked out, and then on top of that, all the rumors of what must have been going on right. in this compound, it just ran rampant. Yeah, it was a it was a hotbed. Yeah, I wish we had Heavy here because he might have, you know, had a better uh, sense of what people in our hometown were thinking because you and I were both off in different directions. I think he was a college. senior. I think he was a senior. it was like 93. Yeah, I think. yeah he would have been a senior. Um, but I, I mean, I, I still remember just being in shock because... As much as it ramped up and ramped up and ramped up, I never thought that it was going to go down with that place just going up in No, flames. I didn't either. I mean, that was shocking. And that tied back, you know, different group, but do you remember, let me look it up real quick, there was a... Hot dog? Not hot dog. <laughs> Are we going to title this episode Not Hot Dog? Sure, why not? I thought I was going to do shorter version of David Koresh is what the title was going to be. <laughs> Either way. Speaking of hot dogs, I'm a big fan of the dill <laughs> relish. I don't like the sweet relish. Where do you fall on the relish? Uh, I don't use it on hot dogs. Okay. I use sweet relish with tuna fish. That's well, all yeah. I put in tuna fish. I like it with tuna. Sweet relish. Uh, I don't mind like a Chicago dog. You don't like the chili cheese with some relish too? No, no. What do you, how do you feel about just the chili cheese? Yeah. Yeah, I like chili cheese dog. Onion? No. Not yeah. usually. All right. What do you, if you don't have chili or cheese, do you just go mustard? Do you go ketchup? Do you go mayo? <laughs> no, you don't go mayo. Uh, you distracted me. At that camp out, I'm looking at a different patrol as having hot dogs for lunch, which they boiled, which was a whole other story because they were Man. working on cooking Mary Badge. And I'm like, you picked that to boil? I mean, you could have <laughs> made something else. But yeah, anyway. No kidding. These kids are all eating hot dogs. Perhaps some fish. And all damn one of them, like six kids, putting fucking ketchup on the hot dog. I don't. Nothing else. I don't understand I'm that. I'm like, that's not Ketchup right. does not belong on a fucking hot dog. No shit, it doesn't belong on a hot dog. Mustard. Mustard. Preferably spicy mustard. Even better. But yes, mustard. Mustard. I mean, I can do mustard. I called them communists. Well, they obviously were. I mean, I like to dress it up completely. I can go chili cheese and mustard. I can do relish and mustard. I can do, I love me some sauerkraut. Where do you fall on the kraut? I don't like sauerkraut. I love sauerkraut. But I don't judge you for it. But if I'm just going to do one condiment, it's going to be mustard. You can keep that ketchup shit to yourself. Yeah, I don't, and they just, they're all, and I'm like, y'all are, you know, I had to hold my tongue because I try not to cuss at them, but. Sounds like they needed it. They needed it. They needed an ass kicking. All right. What I was thinking of was a in 1985, there was a standoff in Philadelphia where there was this house of this organization called Move. They were like a far left kind of anarchist type thing. Is this like the underground? Kind of. Yeah, it's it's the Underground Railroad, sure. (laughs) Not that underground. So they basically blew up the place, which... The cops did try to break down the door. Yeah. But it ignited it and it destroyed 65 nearby houses. Whoa. And I can't remember how many people killed. 11 people in the fire. Mm. So 
you know, different group, different situation. But again, you couldn't have just kind of waited things out type thing. Or like with the Davidians, not to come back from our hot dog talk. I thought we were going to go weather underground, but we can do Davidian talk. Um, you know, all these things, it's kind of like when they go for these standoffs, it's like you couldn't have just waited till it just kind of naturally, you had to have them then. Well, and there's always the, I feel like a big part of it then, which I mean, it's always this way, but a, a big part of it then was the PR game too. Yes. Was that, you know, your justification of your actions is dictated by how much you win the PR game up right. front. I mean, because we didn't know what in the world was going on inside well, that place. Well, we really didn't know anything about Koresh till it started. No. Yeah, I mean, I'm, maybe people in Waco may have heard him, but nobody else had. I bet I bet the amount of people in Waco that knew about him even was a small... Oh, uh, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, yeah, this this guy just came up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a national story. Right. Now, I don't want anybody to think that we're pro-David Koresh. We're not. We're not. Why are you nodding? Well, you know, I did look like him. But it, and it goes, you know, and you had a little bit before that, you had the Weaver standoff, which was a big black eye, too. And again, Randy Weaver, probably not the greatest guy in the world, but right. again, wife didn't deserve to be, you know, murdered and all that mess. Again, could have been handled totally different. So at the meantime, then we got OJ. Look out. You know, that standoff. They didn't kill OJ. I remember watching that. I was with the lawman at his house watching that chase, oh, that I, Bronco I, chase. I, absolutely. I We were watching when the guy Baba buoyed Peter Jennings. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was the, I was lucky enough that we were on channel, uh, on ABC on Channel 8, because I was over at uh, the physics teacher's house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We just we've been driving around town. And we just stopped by. So I was like, "Oh yeah, they're chasing OJ." Another surreal moment. There were several things like that. You know, I remember when I think I was off work because I wasn't working every day on my schedule when the Columbine shooting happened. Oh yeah, I remember that happening that morning. And then I was my schedule was I wasn't working the day that the World Trade Centers were blown up. I watched the second one happen. Because I was at home that morning. Well, remember the Challenger? Yeah. Well, we were at school for that. Yeah. When they were showing that at school. Yeah. You know, and I think it was a library. Yeah. Wasn't it, where we yeah. were watching that and, man. But like our parents, you know, they remember, you know, where they were when Bobby Kennedy, they found out Bobby Kennedy was shot. And mine remember when JFK was shot. I remember where I was when I found out Jamie Kennedy got his first show. I, did I ever tell you that one night I was flying out to LA and I remember I, having a crush on Kennedy I watched on MTV. Jamie Kennedy and what was the chick on uh with the big jugs that he was dating um on the Ghost Whisperer show? What was her she was on like Party of Five, the one with the skinny with the big jugs. Damn it. Can't remember shit. She was on I, Party of Five. Oh, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yeah, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Thank they, you. They I guess they missed a flight or something, and I was in first, and they had to walk back to coach. Well. And I was like, take that, Malibu's most wanted. <laughs> Did you flash up the Gustav sign at him? Yes. Yeah. As a sip of scotch. <laughs> Neat. That's a Shirley Temple. <laughs> what else? There was something else that happened. I, you know what? And it sticks out because, again, we were talking off air about how you didn't have any cartoons on Sunday morning when we were kids. Right. And so you're sitting there watching Charles Kuralt yep. on CBS Sunday morning. Soaking it before in. Before you had to go to church. That um, little creepy looking sun in the background. sun thing, yeah. And that uh, Red Duke looking guy that was kind of like a <laughs> poor man's Andy Rooney. We need a Red Duke episode. <laughs> It'd be heavy. Um, <laughs> but I remember on Sunday morning when the... Marine base was bombed in Lebanon. Oh, in yeah. Beirut. That was yeah. a big deal. I remember that. Stands out. So it's just weird, all that. Especially back then, you didn't have the 24-7 news cycle. So they're cutting in to show you that stuff. There was no CNN to watch. Although, I do remember watching uh, when they attacked the first Gulf War. Yeah. Watching everything. Well, remember our 
senior year, junior or senior year, when they started doing that little cable one. Yeah, television news thing piped into the classroom. Right. Propaganda. Where it was, uh, it was all about the Gulf War at that time. Yeah. You know, it seemed like that was every morning. That's what they were talking about, what was going down there. Yeah, we've lived through a lot. You know, we really haven't. I mean, us. Nope. Because nope. we, we were too young for the first Gulf War. We dodged that bad boy. And then we were kind I mean, not exactly, but we were on the leaning edge of too old for the, I mean, we had some friends that served, but as a general rule, we were already down career paths. Most of us weren't in the military. Yeah. We just missed that first one. And so. Then we were too old for the second one. Yeah. We just, we were already past the, we were already doing shit. Yeah. We barely missed Nam. Barely. Oh, the shit. shit. That makes me, I. (laughs) <laughs> every time I can't help it every time are you going where I'm going well I don't know but every time somebody tells me that they were in the military I can't help but my first question is were you in the, in the shit, shit. <laughs> that wasn't where I was going but that's a good one do you remember uh, we had a, a teacher who was not in Vietnam but he was Vietnam age and we were watching it may not have been the class that we one of us was in, I can't remember, but we were watching something about Vietnam in his history class, and he was just kind of getting a little upset. <laughs> and somebody asked him, "Are you okay?" He's like, "It was just really tough, you know." <laughs> I can't remember what he said exactly. The general's friend will remember. He'll text me, <laughs> but it was like, like it was like he was in the shit when no, he was busy teaching, right? You know. It was a Davy Crockett, you are there moment. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Very much so in eighth grade. <laughs> I, maybe you weren't in that one, but. I I think I know what you're talking about. I, I wish I could remember what, exactly what he said, because it was This very... is the teacher who I was really good friends with his daughter. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the one that would throw water balloons at the kids that would come by from Halloween to trick-or-treat. The one that yelled fucking ass dickheads at us when we <laughs> stole his pumpkin. Man, he Fucking was... ass dickheads. <laughs> he was a cool dude. He was a cool dude. And I always liked his daughter. She was fun. Yeah, she's great. All right, let's see. We got one here from good dude Connor, the trainer that made Fight Night possible. Oh, yeah, I just met him at the last yeah, you IJB. Yeah. yeah. Off the record. All right, it says, Howdy, guys. I was wondering how you all deal with the topic of masculinity in our current societal climate. Growing up through my teens and early 20s, at times I struggled defining what it meant to be masculine. To me, there seems to be a large push from the feminism side of things to put down masculine behavior and label it as toxic. Things like roughhousing as a lad and sexual advances are frowned upon now. Even expressing your desire to fight for the rights for men is a laughable idea. This leaves a large group of young men a bit confused about how to express themselves in masculine ways. I believe a lot of the jackassery you three were up to when you were around college age would ruin a guy's reputation these days. (laughs) I've also noticed that it seems that each generation of men expresses their lack of manliness when compared to the generations before them. Anyway, I'd love to hear any stories or tips on how you all defined it for yourselves, if you've ever really even thought about it. Have you ever thought about it? Nice one there. Thanks for all you've done to your bodies, Connor. All right, Connor's a good dude. Connor is a, uh, he trains at Ryan's gym. Yeah. He he helped uh, get Jake ready for fight night last year. That's right. And just a good dude all around. You know, I do think that, Previous generations always probably do seem a little more masculine. I mean, there's no doubt that 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 was something that we experienced as far as we never felt as manly as our dads were, and then they never felt the same way compared to their dads. Probably. I mean, there was there was definitely that um, chain of command from granddad is the ultimate badass. Yes. Dad is a bigger badass than I am. And then I'm just trying to make my way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that that is something that I'm sure every generation would say that they experienced a change in that. But I feel like we have really seen a huge, and in a lot of ways it's a good thing, but we've seen the pendulum swing big time from what is seen as being a man when we were kids versus now. 
and just and, and that goes from you know entertainment. Um, there's no doubt that the politics has definitely changed big time, and you know, and then obviously societal influences. You know, I do think that feminism, whatever wave you want to classify it in, has some level of that. There's been a big. To some extent, there's been a big shift from the man as protector and provider. Yes. And I'm not saying that that's a, a bad thing, but that has been a big shift. That's the way that we grew up. Right. Um, I used to joke with one of my friends who uh, had been divorced for many years and been single for most, you know, hadn't been really been dating anybody serious. It's like, I don't need a man. You know, I don't need a man to do that. And, you know, not that she didn't want a man, but. Certainly, she had found her way in life where she'd taken care of most things. You know, that would have been the exception right? 40 years ago. And then, you know, now it's like, well, yeah, okay. Um, it's one of those things I don't really think about it personally. I do lament uh, the general pussification of young men. I, I mean, I know that we've had this conversation on air, I mean, off air. But I really attribute a lot of the problems to that fucking everybody loves Raymond type mentality. That media portrayal of if you look at the difference between, and I know the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right. But we made a shift from father knows best to the bumbling idiot dad that doesn't know how to do anything. Right. And that defers to his wife to know how to do anything correctly or to make any significant decision or to hide his idiocy from his wife. Right. That 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 was just a major shift between how men were presented in the media. Sure. Which affects the way, as a kid, it affects the way you see manhood growing up. And, and you know, there are a lot of, you know, these crappy live action TV shows that the kids watch today that it's always the bumbling father. That's right. There's a lot of that now on like Nickelodeon and Disney and stuff. Now in my own home, I do, you know, I'm fixing things and all that stuff. My wife pretty much runs things. There's no doubt, you know, but I'm not the idiot. Right there. I mean, the, like most things, the best is found in the middle, right? In a balance of the two, just like when you know when it comes down to a man and woman, you know the best balance is when the two are equals, and or, they have or different if it's boobs up on top and either way, weighing on the bottom, right? Okay, but that they, you know, you each have your strengths, and that doesn't make you unequal, right? That you're still equal, but it, you know, it's like most things. There was a shift from which, understandably, there was a long period of time to where men were portrayed as not just the dominant figure, but the, you know, the greater sex. Right. And that the, you know, females were discriminated against as not being as smart or as strong or as talented or what, which was never true. Right. But that's how they were portrayed. And then the reaction to that was to swing hard the other way to where the truth was, you know, somewhere in the middle. Right. That, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with there being a strong man and a strong woman together. And you can, you know, that's where a couple is at their best. That's where things function their best. But we experienced a lot of that reactionary type portrayal in the media. Well, I don't think we... It started, well, I mean, it started, it started when we were adults. It's, yeah, when we were at least in college and mostly adults because... Growing up, you know, it was Magnum P.I. Oh, yeah. You know, Now, our that. childhood, we were still at, we were at the tail end of that male-dominated portrayal. Right. Um, but we've experienced in our lifetime that big change from, you know, the, the father as the head of the household and the ultimate authoritative figure to, you know, the either man-boy uh -huh. or childish bumbling idiot needs help with everything can't figure out anything for themselves and i wonder how much of that is a as that so we're starting to see that come around in the mid 90s right that would have been about the time that the children of the first generation where the single mom was more common 
Right. They would have become into the workplace writing and making shows. So those kids right. of the seventies of that first big generation of the post feminism divorce boom for, and it may be feminism. That's unfair to label that on feminism, but just the general sixties culture shift well, when divorce became much more common. There's no doubt. Like you said that the, you know, our, as our culture is shaped so much by what is on TV that as the feminist movement grew and more, there were more female writers, more females in positions of power that could influence what we saw on TV, that that had a big impact on how men and women were portrayed. Right. And I mean, I think some of our older listeners, because I've heard this before, would say that it started more with the Alan Alda type portrayal. That was very much the first sensitive, absolutely. That that was the antithesis of John Wayne. Yeah. Was that to be a real man was to be a sensitive Man. And that was when he was on MASH. So MASH starts off in the 70s. It's all yucks and fun. And then about 79-ish, you start getting the sensitive Alan Alda. Right. And as he starts scripting, and that's definitely, yeah, that's be a high or a turning point. That was the precursor to Ray. Yeah. Well, I think it was a, a tipping point, maybe. Yeah. Because certainly he was never the bumbling character in that. Right. It was a, it was breaking that glass ceiling. He was one of the first vulnerable lead characters. Right. Vulnerable in a totally different way than than uh, Ray was. But yeah, I, it's one of those things, you know, I I don't try to push my kids, you know, like, I oh, get out there and crawl through the mud, you know, and type stuff. But I do want them to learn this is what it is to be a man. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, I read something before we had kids, or maybe when we just had one, and it was talking about the di- how fathers deal with sons versus daughters differently. And the anecdote was there was a... Is this the ocean? The ocean thing. Yeah. This where, a, I've heard this. a good one. Where the father is wading out into the surf with a son and a daughter, both small, two or three years old each. He's got each one by the hand. And when the water would, the wave would come up, he would brace the son, but he would lift up the daughter. Right. Now, I want to have a strong daughter, and I do have a strong daughter, so I always kind of thought, well, I need to brace her too. I want her, you know, she's very girly, but she's very tough at the same time. But I think as a society, we started picking up the son. Yeah. And trying to protect them. And... You know, there's some things like that, and I don't want to get into the snowflake thing, but we as a society, and again, not it's not all good or bad, but we certainly have, back to your child-centric discussion that we were having, we've certainly insulated the kids from any real strife as much as possible. Right. Or Protect any, them from failure. Right. And tried to protect their feelings and, right. you know... And I, you know, again, talking about the kids not making as much when I was having the discussion about the budgeting for the menu, you know, I tell them there are going to be hard times for you. There's hard times for everybody. Sometimes it's not as bad as some others, but there are going to be tough times coming. You've had it really easy. And, you know, when you've had a, when you've worked hard and made the right decisions as an adult and your kids have benefited from that, I do worry a little bit that they're never have had any strife. I'm glad they haven't. Yeah. For the fact that I've worked hard to make sure that they don't, that's a success for me. But I do worry, and going back to several episodes ago where we talked about hard times make strong men. Right. Strong make men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Right. You know, I think it is kind of this cyclical thing, and maybe it'll swing back. And, you know, not to get political, We've seen the pendulum swing a little bit with the last presidential election where it went back to this throwback machismo. Yeah. You know, there's no way 10 years ago. A lot of it's reactionary. Yeah. it's your, There's no way that LBJ could have gotten elected 10 years ago. Right. Type thing. But now we've gotten something more macho than LBJ, LBJ ever put out there. Well, and going back to your... You know, the metaphor, the story that you used, I mean, I think ideally, you know, the perfect situation is that where you're you're bracing both children, right? you know, to where you're 
you know, you're there to support, but you, when you feel the pull to rescue one more than the other, then that goes towards sort of your, your own biases towards one sex versus the other. Right. That it doesn't mean, you know, and, and that, I mean, that is tough. Those are a lot of, a lot of things make sense in theory. Mm-hmm. And then when you are a parent, you're faced with a, a lot, a lot of your own biases and, um, differences in perspective on genders comes to light when you actually have to right. face them head on. And then you factor in differences, ages. That's right. And differences in innate abilities. Right. And yeah, there's a lot of things. It's very, like you said, it's all good in theory. So I know, and, and even birth order. So I've got three kids. What we did for the first one 12 years ago is totally different than what we did eight years ago for the third one. Yeah. And how you handle things. So it's, and, and, you know, I don't even know. I, I certainly have friends that have more than three kids. I can't even fathom what that's like because three has worn me out. And I feel like I'm almost on autopilot at times. Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, at, at our house, my wife has been a stay-at-home mom for pretty much their entire lives. And so we do have a very father's knows best dynamic there. But it's one of those things that I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't think about it a lot. I just try to live like we lived and like we want the kids. And so far they've turned out well. They're, the boys are not hyper masculine. They're not little shits or anything where I right. look at them and say you're a future date rapist like I do some people's <laughs> kids I know. But yeah. it's one of those things at the same time, I don't really worry about my daughter because I think she does have the grit that I don't have to worry about her. So maybe, maybe I have switched it up. I don't know. But overall, it's a good question, Connor. And I hope that you find your masculinity. I'm joking because Connor could kick my ass in a heartbeat. Yeah, you better watch it. And, you know, I think really what we all want to do, what we all strive for is to just as much as we can shape and mold our children to be as much like Brad as possible. Less sweaty. if If we can get, you know, just some semblance of that, we feel like that we've done our duty. And that's male or female. Or other. Or other. Yeah. We're LGBTQTA, well, not A friend. B-R-A-D. B-R-549. Yes. Brad. We love you, Brad. We love you, Brad. We love you, Connor. We love all our listeners for the most part. Well, if you have your thoughts on hyper-masculinity, toxic masculinity, lack of masculinity, the hotness of B. Arthur and Maude... I think those are all related. Just email us at canyouhearmepod at gmail.com or give us a tweet, and I guess we'll talk to you later. Adios. Bye. It's not against law to buy a firearm. It's not against law to, to buy anything that they sell at a gun show. And when this is all resolved, you know, hey, yellow sheet is legal. An accusation is not. And bringing these tanks and stuff around here, I tell you what, being an American first, I'm the kind of guy that I'll stand in front of a tank. You can run over me, but I'll be biting one of the tracks. No one's going to hurt me or my family. That's, 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 that's American policy here. You could have arrested me any day as I jog up and down this road. You could have arrested me going to town or going to Walmart. Waco is going to bear witness against the ATF. Just going to ask everybody to be quiet for a moment. We have on the phone with us as well Robert Higgins, who lives in the neighborhood and is on the ground and can see inside the van. Mr. Higgins. Uh, yes, uh, how are you? Uh, just about as tense as you are, sir. Oh, my Lord, this is quite the tenses. What can you see? Oh, what I'm looking at right now is I'm looking at the van and I see OJ kind of slouching down, looking very, very upset. Now, look at here. He looks very upset. I don't know what he's going to be doing. Can you, can, you, can you see him doing anything specific? Is he merely sitting there? He is just uh, sitting around, you know, just uh, looking like he'd be very nervous. Can you hear anything, Mr. Higgins? It's just too much cold.
commotion. I be in the back of a news van, so I can't really hear that good, but I can see it all. And I see OJ. I see OJ, man, and he looks scared. And I would be scared because there's cops all deep in this. Thank you, Mr. Higgins. And Baba Booey to y'all. The driveway of O.J. Simpson's home in Brentwood. Clearly an effort being made to have him come out of the vehicle. In the doorway of the house, his friend, Al Cowling. Peter, by the way, just for the record, this is Al Michaels. That was a totally farcical call. Uh, lest anybody think that that was somebody who was truly across the street. That was not. Uh, he, he said something in code at the end that's indicative of uh, the mentioning of the name of uh, a certain radio talk show host. Okay, thanks, Al. So he was not there. All right, we have them on every coast. Thank you very much. Not the first time nor the last time will have been had. And world-class championship wrestling. I'm Bill Mercer with Jay Sally. Good night from Dallas, Texas.